Thanks for tuning in to the Read Platform podcast sponsored by Ampliance and Clavio. You're listening to myself, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. How are you today, mate? Good, thanks. I um, I forgot about the podcast earlier when I cycled in. So, uh, yeah, I look like I'm about to go to the gym. But aside from that, uh, all good. How are you doing? Yeah, it's an active Monday for the podcast. And I was at, at kickboxing personal training this morning. So let's hope we stay awake. Yeah, good start to the week. Hello to our regular listeners. Thanks for tuning in as always. And if this is the first time you joined us, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Do subscribe to get a new episode of because we drop one every week. And we'd love a like on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple if you like the content. So let's set up what we're talking about today and then I'll introduce you to our guests. So our topic is how Mishy Page in-store tech is reducing checkout friction and helping retailers boost sales through e-commerce. And what we're going to cover is we're going to talk about some of the common in-store purchase frustrations that lead towards the need for digital technology in stores, the benefit of the digital tech like barcode scanning for retail teams and integrations with modern e-commerce platforms. So let's welcome our guest, Mustafa Komala, who's the founder and CEO at Mishipay. How are you doing, Mustafa? Hi, James. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for joining us. So before we ask you loads of annoying questions, do you want to give, you know, for people who've not come across Mishipay before, do you give them an overview? What What do you do and why? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, once again, I'm Mustafa. I'm the founder and CEO of Mishipay. I started the company now close to seven years ago. And since day one, our mission has actually been the same, which is that we want shoppers inside the store to have a better experience. Because I I had the idea for Mishipay, which is the ability for a user to scan the barcode of an item, pay for an item inside the store and leave the store with their item without having to ever wait in a line. When I was waiting in a line myself, I waited 20 minutes at uh, you know, little in Tottenham Hill to buy a Coke. And in my mind, it just didn't make sense. In the 21st century, surely what's possible on the cash register should be possible on my phone. And that was just the, the first thought. Lucky for me, you know, I, I've trained as a mechatronic engineer. So I was able to build the first prototype by myself and realized it's actually possible in reality. And then we went out to go build it. After which, you know, my best friend and co-founder joined me a few months after. Uh, and then the rest of the team, who is now, you know, over 40 people between our offices in London, Bangalore. Uh, and then we also have offices in US and very soon in Dubai. But the focus still remains the same, which is that we believe shoppers love to shop inside the store, but the store disappoints you at perhaps which is the best moment where you decide you want to buy something. And then when you get to the till, you're having to wait in a line and then go ahead and pay for it. There's too much friction between the point of wanting to buy and the point of actually buying. And if you think online, it's almost the exact opposite. You don't have a great browsing experience, but when you've decided, you can find out all the information you could possibly ask for. You can add it to your basket by yourself and buy. So you have the autonomy of your purchase. So what Mishiba is looking to do is bring the best of that online checkout experience into the physical store, starting with the ability for the user to scan, pay, go, and eventually taking over, hopefully, all the transactions inside the store through our uh, other, you know, more supplementary products to scan and go but the beginning for us is scan and go because it's something that can just be put live inside the store without any need for hardware or software infrastructure changes on the retailer side right um so i'll ask the first question um yeah really interesting one so what's your view on the current state of footfall um within physical retail um we've got a few clients that have been really positive about london stores recently but yeah what's your view on kind of now versus pre-pandemic levels and kind of how retailers are finding things at the moment 
So almost across the board, most of our retailers are saying that they, they're above 2019 levels now, right? In terms of sales. Now, um, a lot of them are not counting fo footfall separately to sales, but where they are counting footfall separately to sales, they are seeing footfall is up compared to 2019 levels. This could also be the surge that has come back in tourism. You know, almost all the COVID, actually all the COVID restrictions are off in London. People are traveling back. Um, you know, recently I was at a, at a good restaurant uh, near our office in Soho and the, the person there was saying that, yeah, all of our, you know, foreign customers, particularly our Arab customers and our, our Chinese customers, all of them seem to be back. Uh, sorry, not the Chinese, the, the Arab customers and the Indian customers, because the Chinese, they're still having uh, more, more restrictions in there. So they're not back to the same levels. But they were talking particularly about their Arab customers from the Middle East. They were saying they were fully back and, you know, spending like they used to in London. So that's that's clearly having a clear trend. And, and we see that not just in the UK. We see that with our same customers in the Middle East, with our customers in the US. Um, they're all back to or above pre-pandemic levels in terms of their sales. Now, I don't know how a, a potential recession could impact that again and, and whether it will create another downturn that they will have to deal with. But at least for now, in the first two quarters of this year, they seem to be above 2019 levels. Okay, great. And um, and your product focused on the kind of digital experience within the store and kind of reducing friction or removing friction. Um, and you talked about the piece around, you know, delays via queues or kind of your first experience that led to you building the business. Um, what are other kind of, yeah, frustrations that customers tend to have that your business can help solve? So time is the, the biggest thing from a user's perspective. But I think from a retailer's perspective, then there's a few other things. From a user's perspective, first and foremost, we want to save them time. If they would have normally spent, let's say, in a 30-minute shopping journey, if they spend 25 minutes shopping and five minutes checking out, our first goal is to make them spend 29-plus minutes shopping and a few seconds checking out with Mishipe. So your time in store could potentially still be the same. You're just spending it more productively and, and a higher quality of your uh, total time because you're spending it where you enjoy the store the most, the trial room, in the aisles, you know, looking through the items and browsing. Then you consider the second thing right there, which is discovery of the items, right? Because when a user is, is spending more time in the aisles, checkout is no longer the problem. The next thing is, you know, how do I find what I'm looking for? So product discovery begins to become another important piece. This is where we brought in our product recommendation engine, where for us, the user gets the ability to scan an item and say, hey, people who bought this also bought this. Very similar to what you're getting used to seeing online on Amazon or really most good e-commerce websites, they will recommend you based on what you've uh, already added to your basket or what item page you're on. So we realized that inside the store, you can also do it. It just happens today through the, through the member of staff who's usually very knowledgeable about people saying that, okay, if you're buying this white shirt, I know that this scarf will go well with it, or I know that your, your taste is of this type, so this other shirt is going to be interesting for you. They're doing a lot of it, but they're doing it one-to-one, -one, and they're not able to program it into being a, a fixed set of rules that you can apply, right? Or, or put it into a machine learning algorithm so that it can consi consistently evolve. So when you add in a new staff member, like is happening 
across the whole retail spectrum today that had to let go of so many people or so many people also left for other reasons. Now they're rehiring. They have to retrain them. But with, with an engine that's using that's using data for recommendations, you don't need to retrain it every time. Every time the user does a purchase, it becomes smarter. So that's what we're really happy about with uh, helping with product discovery inside the store. Uh, and then finally, when it comes to the user leaving the store, it's helping them understand when to come back by keeping them abreast of latest offers, latest um, you know, new, new products, new releases that come into the store. So it's maintaining that link with their customer, which again, the retailers have gotten very good at doing with e-commerce and they've found no good way apart from traditional loyalty programs to do that with their in-store customers. And, and traditional loyalty custom, uh, programs, especially in like fashion, is does not have more than 10 uh, at most 20% penetration of the users. So you're still having a lot of users who are not logged into that. So that's what we can help with uh, in the last piece, which is which is furthering your loyalty program or adding a loyalty where you don't have one by yourself because effectively Mishipay still gets all the data about the user, not just what they're buying, but what they're thinking of buying and why. Because we can see whatever you scan what did you add to basket? Then what did you eventually buy? So which were the abandoned baskets in the middle or abandoned items in the middle that you were interested in, which we can now um, you know, draw some behavioral analytics from and understand that, okay, Paul is this type of a shopper or James is this type of a shopper. Uh, let's say one of them is only interested in items which are on sale. So there's no point recommending something which is not on sale for you. So those, those kinds of areas are, are key for us to help the user on. And then when it comes to the uh, to the retailer, I think any B2B company that sells into uh, a business has to eventually have some way to save money through their product or make money through their product. You have to be able to boil it down to one of those two areas. Uh, for us, luckily, we can, we can help with both because on one end, we reduce the need for cashier staff and cashier spots. So you can use that resource elsewhere in the store, on the sales floor, in the back office, wherever you want to as a retailer. But then you also have the ability for the user to buy more than they were because of that engagement during the journey, the better quality of their time, and the fact that they can keep coming back to the store more often. Um, what, what level of store do you typically work with? It, it, are you agnostic to size of store or, to no, or no. velocity? It's a, it's, a key, it's a key point, actually, because... We, we were we started off by saying, you know, really anyone who wants to work with us, let's start with them. Because when you're a startup, especially selling B2B into physical store retail, it can be very difficult because retailers operate on, you know, much longer cycles inside the store. They're much slower than when they make changes on their website. Um, and there are so many other factors you have to consider. So it's really hard. So in the beginning, we, we said, you know what, we will try to get any retailers who want to work with us, anyone who's innovative. Um, and, and we made some mistakes. We went into retailers where we didn't really give ourselves the best chances of success, right? We, we ended up starting some pilots where there was no need for the solution. At least that first use was not clear. So we started to realize that, you know, we have to have three key criteria. The first one, which is the obvious one you would think about is high traffic, right? At some point in the store during the whole day, you have to have some element of a line forming. Right. If that is there, then you have the first key uh, criteria because the user will, in that line, immediately see the benefit of Mishipay if you pitch it to them. They'll say, oh, okay, 
you, I can skip this line and I'll save five minutes of time right now. It makes sense. Um, show me how to do it. Right there are there is a segment of users that you can immediately begin to convert. So that's important when you have a line inside the store. We we typically look for traffic in terms of numbers as you know a retailer with more than three transactions per square meter per day. Um, typically, if you have more than this number, you start to form a queue inside the store. What we also see is that repeat frequency is important because. For instance, an electronic store, a pure electronic store in the traditional sense, think like a Curry's PC world, may have queues at some point in the, in the day, but you typically visit that store once in a year, once in two years. So even if we spend on customer acquisition, the payback is going to be very slow and there, the recall value is, is almost zero for the customer at that point because they're not coming back often enough. So that's why we also look for a repeat frequency where the user is coming to the store once in three months or more often. And finally, we look for transferability of transactions. So what that means is that nearly 100% of the items should be available for scan and go. If there's too many items which are not available because of a regulation point of view, because of some form of UX that we can't incorporate into the app, for example, prescription drugs, if there are more than 25% of the sales of the store, it doesn't make sense for us to, to start with that store for a pilot uh, when we're in the early stages of, of achieving network effects in a single city, uh, because there we're, we're constraining ourselves too much and trying to fight for too small a piece of the pie. So that's, that, that's then the, the third criteria that forms in. When you put these three together, typically you end up with convenience stores, grocery stores, and fast fashion or fast accessory, like a Flying Tiger or, or certain cosmetics uh, brands, they would still fit within that fast accessories label. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's that's nice and clear criteria as well. Uh, question I've got for you um, is historically, there have been resistance amongst some offline teams when embracing digital technology, typically down to the fear of sales cannibalization. Like, oh, if everything's going through an app, um, it's online. It's not going to count to my my retail sales. How how have you helped tackle that? Because how how do sales teams get rewarded for this? How does the the data get tracked back so that they have that visibility? Yeah, that's a that's a key actually to our success in terms of the in store operation point. Because while you look for the right stores, you make sure technically that you're correctly integrated. If the store staff themselves don't want you to be successful then it's a really, really steep uphill battle for you to be successful inside the store with adoption of technology. But it starts on the tech side, actually. So when a retailer is convinced on the value we bring in terms of reducing costs or, or increasing sales, the next question from their perspective is always about what does it take from my end to make this live inside the store? First, technically, right? And if that means that their technical teams have to do any work to change their infrastructure, this becomes really difficult, right? This is what the SAP and Microsoft Dynamics and these type of uh, brands have to deal with, but they're used to it. They're used to that 12, 18 month cycle. There is hundreds, if not thousands of vendors out there who do the work for the retailer and that's what they're used to. But a startup can't operate that way, right? For us, uh, an ethos we had to build from two and a half years ago is that we require the retailer to do no additional work. We plug into their existing systems, whether that is the product catalog, the POS, the loyalty program, the promotions, 
And we do it so that they don't change any infrastructure. They look at us as an existing till, except we're in the cloud, but they send files to us. They do the same way they do to the others. And they receive files from us the same way they do from the others. That way internally, even though it's an online sale, the payment is an online payment. It's recorded as an in-store transaction, right? So as a, as a user, yes, you're paying with your credit debit card or Apple Pay or Google Pay the way you would on an e-commerce website, but the sale is still recorded to the store. And that way we can still record it to an individual salesperson if we like by embedding their, um, for example, their ID into a lanyard with a QR code. So there you can always track back the sale to where it originated from. You can also have the ability to um, go back and, and inside the store, match the commission and the KPI of the staff with what will be uh, successful for Mishipay. So we spend a lot of time and effort the, um, inside the inside the retailer's uh, compensation structure to understand, okay, are they compensated on max sales inside the store? So revenue, is it max number of transactions? Is there max number of loyalty members signed up? And then we try to align that with how we can help that KPI for the staff. So we spend time for them to, to approve that. Once the transaction is done, then the sales are attributed to the correct store because inside that original QR code to onboard with Mishipay, you also have the store ID. So as a, as a user, just to explain once again the, the journey, right? you walk into a store, for example, Muji or Flying Tiger in London, any of their stores will have Mishipay. You will see a QR code that says, hey, to skip the line, scan here, or for scan and go, scan here. This has a QR code. Inside this QR code, you have embedded the store ID so that you don't need to give any location when you scan it and the access to our web app. So you scan this as a user with your iPhone or Android and you will end up in Safari or Chrome straight on the scanner page where you can start scanning items inside the store. You scan the item and you get name, price and uh, name and price at the very minimum. If there's any promotions, you will get it right there. Uh, if there are no promotions on the item, it will not show. So all this data comes to you live from the retailer system because we're pulling this today. We have more than 21 million items worth of data on our databases today. When we pull this and we, we apply the promotions, we're applying it also through our own promo engine, which is calculating the logic to say, okay, if you have these two items, add this third one for a meal deal, for example. And we prompt you to do that as a user. When you add that item and you're ready to pay, you go ahead and pay. So the payment goes typically through either the retailer's own gateway, like an Adyen or a WorldPay, or through gateways that we handle where we're the merchant on record. This is becoming more and more popular because again, the retailer has to do less work on their end. When we process the transaction, yes, it's an econ transaction, but the money goes to the account that the store is transferring into and the sale is recorded through what is something called a T-log or a cost log that we send into the retailer system into that physical store. So they will say that, okay, this store, for example, the Oxford Street store just had a sale worth 10 pounds and sale went through Mishipay. So they know to expect the money through that different uh, process. What is Ampliance? In a word, it's freedom. The freedom to build a digital experience as limitless as your vision. Create, preview, schedule and manage all your content in one easy place. 
Find out more at Ampliance.com. Ampliance. Experience freedom. Great. Um, so that was a very detailed answer. So um, I'll, ask, I'll ask the next question. So at the start of that um, answer, you mentioned that you would typically try and kind of leverage existing integrations. And I'd imagine the POS is going to be your uh, most common starting point in terms of kind of stock feeds and everything else. Um, would you ever do kind of additional dev to allow for things like endless aisle or kind of additional functionality as well? Yes, yes. It makes a lot of sense to us after we're successful with scan and go because see the the gap in the market, which is just a general view, right, of physical store is there is a, a big difference between the capability of the current POS at most retailers and the demand of the customer experience from the user. There's a big gap between this in what the users are demanding inside the store, the discovery of items, the easy checkout, better uh, connections to their, um, you know, to, to, to payment methods they want to use online, the ability to have more loyalty and points through that, all these things, when you try to build it with a traditional POS, which does not have an innate capability to do that, you're talking about years of time and millions of dollars that these retailers have to spend. Okay, it's extremely expensive and very time consuming. And the worst part is that it may still not be enough. When they come to the end of that project, the user's demands have evolved right by that point, because this is an, an evolving customer experience inside the stores. You can't say that, you know what, we've built this, it took us three years, the user is still where they were three years ago. That's not really true. So what you need is something that can move quick and still adopt and, and evolve to what the user wants. Um, and we believe that we, are, we can do that because we're mobile first, um, you know, web as well as iOS and Android, we can change ourselves as needed. So our pitch to the retailer is really that you start with Scan and Go. It's the easy win that you can get, the low-hanging fruit. We plug into your, your systems in just two weeks. And when you start within the first three months, you should see 10 to 15% of your store transferring over to paying with their own device. After that, once we've achieved that, then yes, the next step is to for us to try to take over near 100% of the transactions so that we can effectively be the front end of the store and the, use, the retailer still uses their own POS as back end uh, for the inventory management, promotion creation, accounts type functions. They, they could either use an ERP or they could use parts of their POS because it's good for that. It's good for back office, but we are good for the front end of the store. And the applications that we would go to, the, the very next one after Scan and Go is our own version of a self-checkout kiosk. This is a very minimalistic kiosk on a, built on an Android tablet with a scanner. So it uses the user's existing behavioral training that they've had for the last 10, 15 years, seeing this technology in their groceries. So they gravitate towards it automatically. They start scanning and paying with it. At the end, we give them an option to transfer the basket to scan and go for a discount. So again, it acts as a user acquisition channel, or they can finish the transaction there on the terminal. This probably gets us another 60, uh, 55 to 60% of the transactions inside the store. So now we're really touching that point of being 70, 75%. And for the remaining then, by adding further use cases like, you know, Endless Isle, you mentioned, we've already launched that. We did a, a pilot in, in France with Emma Sleep, 
you know, the, the mattress company. They launched the first pop-up that they ever had in Paris in end of April, beginning of May. And Mishibe was the primary way to pay inside the store because they didn't go with the traditional POS. They went with us where the user came in, they scanned mattresses. And when they were ready at the end, they paid. Uh, if they paid with Apple or Google Pay, we took their home address from inside that and just uh, fulfilled, send the fulfillment to the Emma Sleep uh, service. And where they paid with card, they had to just enter the address details. But effectively, that NSI could be put into one of our existing stores, which already has Scan and Go as an additional method. When your basket goes over a certain price, for example, or or if you're willing to pay for it separately, then we have Click and Collect, which we've done for Muji in London, uh, as well as lots of coffee shops around Soho and Covent Garden, uh, where the user can order ahead for their coffee and then go pick up. Now, we don't want to just do this business on its own. It's a, it's a crowded space and there's many players. But as an addition to Scan and Go, as an add-on for our users, it makes a lot of sense because they've just gone to a store. We've helped them skip the line. So they trust us and they like what they've just done with the application. Then they're more likely to do other transactions with the same application, if it, even if that is at their coffee shop and of course, if that is at their grocery or if that's at the online retailers they like to buy from. So we're simply leveraging that first user acquisition that we've already got and the traction with that user of helping them skip the line and save time. Right. And um, so you state that the ROI within three months of the average client is between 14 and 35% increase in revenue uh, via the app versus tills. And obviously, you've talked about a few different ways that you kind of add value compared to a traditional transaction via a till. Um, yes. How do you measure the incrementality of this? Um, yeah, that's the main question. So you're saying that how do we know that that increase in sales is us and it's not just, uh, you know, an increase in general in the store. It's not just because the more expensive baskets have moved to Mishipi. Is that correct? Yeah, I guess. And um, yeah, and obviously there's different variables and things. And is this something that you report back on as well? Yeah, yeah. Because remember, we, we are the... Our case studies that you see online with, you know, Muji seeing a 25% increase in the sales uh, in basket value, sorry, Flying Tiger seeing 35% increase in basket value, Eroski seeing 14% increase in per user revenue. All of these name the retailers, right? So they're publicly corroborated by the retailers saying, yes, we have got this increase. So that requires them to be completely agreeing with what we're saying, right? And we've had to prove ourselves. So we've, we've done all that uh, research and analysis, uh, analysis on, on each of those case studies to say that this is in fact, like, you know, to the highest possible degree confirmed that this is from Mishipay. And I'll explain how, but it's, first you have to understand the nuance of the, um, of the type of increase in sales. There's three different types, right? The first one is the increase in sales from, removing abandoned baskets. This typically happens at convenience stores. At a convenience store, the store is on the way to somewhere. It's not your destination, right? So you're on the way to catch a flight. You're on the way to catch a train. Um, you're filling up your gas when you're on, the, on your travels. And then you have a store. 
at this store, you're having a much higher propensity to abandon the basket because the, the item is not actually something you came there to buy in particular, right? You're on the way somewhere. So you're not going to miss your flight for the sake of the Coke or the Red Bull or the water. And here, uh, a customer is very likely to abandon the basket and they clearly lose somewhere between 5 to 7% of the sales uh, due to this abandoned basket problem. Here, we have been able to A-B test and show that on days with similar traffic and similar number of sales, when we push Mishipay versus when we don't push Mishipay, there's typically a 75 to 80% reduction in the abandoned baskets when you do push Mishipay. In particular, in a, in a store that we test, in two stores we tested this at, at two different airports, we saw that the abandoned baskets came down from about 18 a day to about two to four a day when we did not push Mishipay versus when we pushed Mishipay. So that's a clear increase in sales because those are sales the store would have completely lost without us. Yeah, that makes sense. Once we can show that, they can be proven. Yeah. At a grocery store, it's different. At a grocery store, the increase in sales is through the user coming back more often. This is because normally when you're going to your grocery, you're going you know, between two to four times a month, sometimes even more often. You, you're, you're timing yourself so that you don't end up going at the high peak times, so that you don't end up going when you just want to buy a small you know, a milk, for example, and you won't end up going at the peak time because you know you'll get stuck. What's happening with Mishipay here is the user is no longer afraid. They're going in whenever they want for whatever type of purchase because they know they'll be in and out in the same amount of time. And Eroski, the third largest grocery in Spain, was able to see this because they could see that, okay, two users, let's say Paul and James, who have their loyalty cards, so they know exactly how many times they come and what they buy, they could see that these two users used to come three times a month and buy 100 euros worth of goods, Okay. Now, one of them has moved over to Mishipay. That person is coming four times a month and buy 114 euros worth, whereas James is still, let's say, just coming three times a month and buy 100 euros worth, but not using Mishipay. And they were able to see this clearly as a trend across hundreds of users, each of whom had the loyalty card, so they could clearly test with and without Mishipay. And they saw that net increase of 14% in per-user revenue due to users coming back more often. And then the final one that you're talking about, the Flying Tiger one, 35% increase in basket value or Muji, 25%. The reason is because of the engagement in the app, because you see the promotions, because you spend more time in the, in the right areas of the store, but also because your total time inside the store as a percentage is, is much more higher productivity, right? You don't spend any time checking out. So all that time is spent shopping, it has an immediate impact on basket value. But the way we confirm that is through like-for-like -like analysis. So we say, let's take two stores, one with Mishipay, one without, right? We see what, uh, against, let's say, the month of June, how they both have performed. We compare that to the month of May, and then we take a comparable year, let's say 2019, and we compare May and June. So 2019, none of those stores had Mishipay. We compare their May versus their June. In 2022, one of them has Mishipay from June onwards, uh, and did not in May, and we compare their May and June for both the stores. So that way, the any difference in the impact is what we would see. Because if you had both the stores having a difference of, let's say, 10% between them in 2019, 
If the difference in 2022 is 15% from 10%, that increase in 5% is what is attributable to Mishipay. That's one way of looking at it. The second way is that when there's an increase in basket value, we try to see if it corresponds to the penetration inside the store. So if we are 10% of the transactions and we have a 25% increase in basket value, it should roughly be a 2.5% increase in the store sales overall. And we look for that as well. So only when all these markers are confirmed, do we put out a case study like that. Lovely. Um, another very detailed uh, answer. Um, so I have one sub question that was more just something that I wanted to know the answer to out of interest. How do you typically work from a kind of pricing model perspective? Is it based on kind of number of transactions? Is it flat fee? Is it incrementality? Yeah. How do you typically charge your customers? Yeah, this is this has had a few changes over the years. Um, I can give you a, a general view of it. Um, I cannot mention very specific numbers because it is a little bit uh, sensitive in terms of the data. But the first piece is an, is an integration fee. This is just at cost for what it costs us to make a new retailer go live, right? That two weeks worth of effort on our end. Uh, we, we almost always charge the retailer some type of an integration fee depending on the complexity of the integrations. This one is, is typically small. You're talking about you know, tens of thousands of, of pounds at the, at the lower end. Um, so the lower, lower five-digit level of um, in, you know, in, in pounds. But the, the running fees, the actual long-term fees for a store are between subscription and transactions, right? A subscription fee is typically per store per month. And a transaction fee is a percentage on every transaction. And the way to think of it is almost like on a seesaw. On one end, you have all subscription and 0% transaction. On the other end, you have high transaction fee and zero subscription. Our preference is to get the retailer somewhere in the middle with a small subscription fee, a couple hundred pounds per store per month, uh, as well as a small transaction fee, something like one to 2% per transaction. But if this, um, if most retailers actually go for the extremes, because smaller retailers would, would prefer to pay pure transaction and not pay subscription, and larger retailers with large store estates prefer to pay um, all on the subscription side because they don't want to have any kind of revenue share. And they know that when this becomes a big part of their store's transaction, that is actually a much higher fees eventually. Um, so really, it's a, it's a fight between those two. These days, though, almost always we have some element of subscription and some element of a transaction across the retailers. It's just the size of it that changes uh, because our, our power in the negotiations is increasing given our scale and size that is that is growing. I don't know, does that, does that answer the question enough for you to, to be able to get a view of things? Yep, absolutely. I just wanted to bring bring the question back around the integration stuff because you talked about the the fact that you integrate your back end systems so retailers don't need to, to put additional hardware in, which obviously is a big <laughs> stock stock movement is always challenged retailers have known how much stock they've got not overselling because somebody could be physically um, picking up an item in the store for a customer versus a customer's going and picking items up. Um, how do you handle that piece? So how? At what point is the store stock file deprecated? Is is it at point of purchase? Is it when they create a basket in Mishipay? How does that piece work? 
whenever the retailer wants is the answer, right? Because our capability is to do it in real time. Every time you see a transaction on Mishipay, we update the retailer system. This is what we want to do. But unfortunately, a lot of retailers don't have the capability to accept files in that speed, right? Or that number during the day. So the, the, the spectrum would go from that level, which is real time. Every transaction, we update them immediately all the way to once a day, which is the most common one, right? In the middle, you have some retailers who prefer 15-minute batches, one-hour batches if they can take it. So it really is about the capability of the system into which we send this data. We typically send it via SSTP, uh, something called a POS log or T-log in the US, as I've mentioned before, which contains the full sale from Mishibay's perspective. So the SKUs that we've sold, the store ID, the tax calculations, the total basket value, as well as the stock units that are sold. And we send that to the retailer's system. So it's attributed to the correct store. The sales are recorded correctly. Commissions are recorded correctly. And the stock is updated. But for them, um, they, they need to be able to accept this from us in real time if they want to update it real time. What you will see typically is retailers with a lot of buy online, pick up in store orders uh, or, or click and collect fulfills from the store orders they will have the capacity to accept this in real time because they've had to build it for themselves internally. So there we send it you know, uh, very often or, or in real time. But those retailers who don't have a lot of click and collect orders, who don't have a lot of buy online pickup and store orders, they would not have yet built out this capability traditionally, unless they've got a new uh, AGRP, like a Dynamics 365 or something like that, then, okay, they have the capability, but they're not using it. But in most cases, if they've got the capability, it's because they've had to build it for other applications and we can then reuse it. Yeah, I think that was a use case I was thinking about. You're right, they, where people have got online click collect or, or buy online pay in store where they could have a, they could have an inaccurate stock file if they're not taking um, regular updates. And how do you... From a point of view, you said SFTP, are there other mechanisms and do you have an open API? How can people with existing systems plug in and grab that data? Yeah, yeah so typically just on a broad level, it would be file transfer or API, right? Those are the two, two ways in which we would uh, exchange the types of files, you know, range uh, from XML, JSON, CSV, .dat, whatever the retailer is using. Again, we don't ask them to make any changes here. The same format of their file, the same data that's inside their file that they use for the POS, they use for us. That way there's, you know, all the heavy lifting is on our side in terms of interpreting what those files are saying, converting the format to something our systems understand, uh, and then sending it back in the format that they wanted. Um, so we we do all that work for them. But yeah, typically it's file transfer over SFTP or really any other protocol the retailer wants to use. Uh, we've had a few other types of systems. Uh, sometimes, you know, we, we have to be part of a, of a VPN to be able to send and receive some of these files. Otherwise, we set up our system for them to send and receive from there. Um, and, and then in the case of an API, you know, we, we just call the information when we need it. That way we... We don't have a lot of storage that we, we keep, but unfortunately not a lot of retailer systems have APIs capable of what we need. Because if you think about it inside the Mishipay app, you're calling the product details so many times, right? You're typically calling a product API like 10, 15 times because you add items, you take out items. It's not like at the cash register where you've already got a fixed basket. 
right? You're scanning everything in there. Then there's promotions. That's why we had to build our own promo engine because with uh, one transaction on MishiPay, you typically call the promo engine five to 10 times because you're adding an item. We update the promotions that are available, not just that are applied, that are available to be applied or that are applied. Then you change a quantity, we recalculate. You add a new item, we recalculate. You take out an item, we recalculate. At the till, that's not what's happening. You add all your items, remove whatever you want, and then they calculate it once or twice at most per transaction. So again, the, the capability required here is, is much higher in terms of what we do. And how about returns? Because returns is always a, a challenge from a process and a technology-wise for, for omnichannel retailers. How, because you've got the, the scan and go and you've got purchases going through your app, but most people will return an item to, to the store physically, but they might send it through an online portal. How do you close the loop on that so that that that, that all of these systems are synced to have like order statuses? Our recommended ways to do the refund on the Mishipay dashboard. This is the staff-based application that we have, which is like a back office on which they can see in real time all the transactions being done inside the store. They can um, you know, see analytics of which users on which platforms have made those transactions, which type of payment methods have been used. They can use it for scanning the QR at the end of the journey for verification and security against theft. And they can use it for refunds. And when they use it for refunds, that way we ensure the money goes back at exactly the same uh, payment method the, re- the user used. We update the in-app receipt as well as sending back the post log for a refund to the retailer. So when you do it from the dashboard, everything is synchronized. Now, some, some retailers do not want to follow that. So they may do a refund on their traditional POS at a different payment method than the one that you use for paying. And then we have to be informed separately. Or they may do the refund at the POS, but we still refund the actual money. So at the POS, they simply record that you've sent back your item. They do their checking as they would in their normal procedure. And then they inform us that X, Y, Z items out of this basket have been refunded so that we go to that basket and actually just refund those items. But because we're sending the boss logs and everything synchronized into their own POS, let's say if the frequency is once a day, within 24 hours of your purchase, your transaction is on their till as well. So if they want, they can do their same traditional uh, return um, procedure, or they can actually choose to return with Mishipi, which is just much cleaner and much more synchronized into their systems. Lovely. And um, last question. I think this has been a really interesting episode. And uh, yeah, I think there's a lot more to this than I'd maybe thought at the start of the episode. Definitely um, lots of good stuff. And I guess where um, where do you intend to go next? Um, I guess the pandemic's probably been quite interesting from like an adoption perspective, lots of new features, etc. cetera. Um, but what are you looking to do next? What else are you looking to build into the product? What's on your roadmap? Yeah, the pandemic has been really, you know, up and down for us in terms of uh, adoption as well as business success. Because, you know, times when all the stores were closed were were really tough and scary times, you know, because we we had a lot of retailers, um, not, not a lot of grocery, right? We were still just starting out with the first few grocery retailers. So their stores were completely closed during certain points of the pandemic. 
Um, and that was not easy. But what was really good was when they reopened, we had retailers signing like never before, right? So we made it out of the pandemic net positive. Like um, I think from March 20 to March 21, we were up like three, uh, three and a half X on our business. Uh, and then March 21 to March 22, we are, we're up again by, you know, another three and a half X. So we've eventually been made it, made it well through the pandemic, uh, but it did take a lot of effort to, to get there. I think the, the user side of the adoption, though, has also seen a, a big increase that across the board, we're seeing almost every retailer go to some form of self-checkout, right? You're, you're seeing this with fashion retailers, Zara, Uniqlo, H&M, also starting self-checkout kiosk-based systems, right? The same as what we were seeing in the groceries. We thought they would never come to fashion. I think universally, every fast fashion retailer we've spoken to is thinking about them. So I think that it's it's also had that shift because the users are ready to use these inside the store. They're becoming more and more, um, you know, accepting of these methods. You know, you you go to a McDonald's today, and most of the time there's no one at the cash register. Everyone has to make the order through the kiosk, right? Um, you same thing when you when you go to a Tesco or a Sainsbury's. Now there's very few times that someone is going to the the actual you know, cash register with a human behind it. Just because the, use, the retailers have forced you there. Across all the other markets as well, they're considering this option now. And the, the way they're thinking about it is on a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have the traditional self-checkout kiosk. On the other end, you have the computer vision, Amazon Ghost time, right? We are in the middle with Mishipay. When you compare these three on aspects of CapEx, OpEx, reliability, scalability, value generated in terms of reducing costs, increasing sales, and finally the UX for the user, you see that you know the, the kiosk have some great benefit in terms of reducing costs, super reliable for what they do for you, but users hate using them and they're big CapEx. The computer vision is extremely expensive, CapEx or OpEx, but the users love using them. However, they're still unproven at scale and still not so reliable. So when you come down to Mishipay, we've been in hundreds of stores. We've proven our increase in sale as well as reduction in cost capability. Very easy and cheap to start with and reasonable to run as an OPEX, but also where our user NPS is over 75 users love to use us. We see that this ability to scan and go is probably what is most impactful, most effective for the broadest swath of the market because we are uh, practical yet effective. The next stage, though, will be about the, the kinds of vendors and the, the systems which can take over nearly all the transactions inside the store. Because if you stick to just one, just the ability to scan and go, then you will still miss out the, the kiosk customers. You will still miss out endless aisle. You will still miss out click and collect. You will have to find a way to cover all, but start somewhere. Start with a, with a clear, practical, yet impactful area which is what we're doing with Scan and Go. And I think this will be a trend that continues. You will see more and more fashion retailers uh, reduce the number of cash registers and either bring in self-checkout kiosks or bring in Scan and Go like us uh, or, or a mixture of both, like we are doing at Flying Tiger ourselves. And, and we are soon to do at Muji as well. So, you know, we know that, that this will come uh, as a way to reduce the reliance on the manned cash register. 
Um, and the eyes for retailers were also open when they had to let go of so many stuff. And now almost universally, they're struggling with rehiring the stuff. Even at higher salaries than they were offering before, they're just not able to get the same number of staff to come back. Yeah, I think that is a common problem. I've seen some of my clients, they recruit in the right caliber and right level of people quickly enough. But it's interesting to say about the kiosk because there's a real cultural shift that's required. Um, people are very used to sh- shopping with a person at a till point. But you're right, the food play, I mean, I've shopped in, in Leon restaurants and you know, they've shifted to these self-service kiosks. And, and initially it's about, oh, hang on a minute, and you have to adjust, but it, it, it makes sense because then they focus people on serving and speeding up exactly. so that you don't wait as long for your food. So, yeah, interesting. Um, myself, I really, really enjoyed this. Um, there's, yeah, as Paul said, there's some elements of of um, the product I hadn't understood, learned more about this grey. I'm sure our listeners will have, would learn a lot about you know where it's relevant and what it's doing. If people want to learn more, I've got any specific technical questions, how do they reach out? Uh, they can just reach out on mishipay.com uh, or if they want to reach out to me on me specifically, you know, just mustafa at mishipay.com uh, and they can, they can send me an email. Uh, but of course, they can also find the team's email there on uh, mishipay.com if they just go to our website or any of our social channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, uh, they can reach out to us there as well. Cool. And thanks to everyone for listening in. As always, we hope you found it an interesting episode too. Keep an eye out and ear out for the next one. We land them every Tuesday. Do subscribe to get weekly alerts and we'd love a rating on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Take care, everybody. See you soon. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.